I hope for just this baseline recognition that mothering is going to be messy. It's going to be challenging. We should expect this because we're mothering in this world that's not our home. Welcome to Christ and Culture, the podcast of the L. Russ Bush Center for Faith and Culture at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Here we'll explore how the Christian faith intersects all avenues of today's culture through conversations with leading thinkers. Welcome to the conversation. Hey everyone, I'm Ken Keithley. And I'm Nathaniel Williams. Today, Dr. Quinn and our own Megan Dickerson will talk with biblical counselor Lauren Whitman about mom guilt. And after that, we'll have another edition of On My Bookshelf. But first, it's time for our segment called Headlines, in which we look at some aspect of the headlines, like news, sports, pop culture, or business, from a Christian perspective. And in today's edition of Headlines, let's talk about the earthquake in Turkey. So many times we're able to talk about something that is lighthearted, our deals with recreation, our some leisure such as reading books. This one is a very somber and sober topic. As everyone knows, the earthquake that occurred in southern Turkey and northern Syria on Monday, February 6th, was one of the strongest earthquakes to hit the region in over a century. Mm. On the Richter scale, which for most of us lay people concerning the Richter scale, that that really doesn't mean a whole lot. But here's the thing to think about. It registered 7.8 on the scale. It's a logarithmic scale. So that means a 7.8 was 100 times more powerful than a 6.8. And so it grows by 100 each time it goes up point, 5 point something, 6 point something, 7 point something. So it was an, a remarkably powerful earthquake. It had over 1,200 aftershocks. The death toll, unfortunately and tragically, is growing by thousands each day. In the first week, there was wonderful stories of people being rescued, uh, but now we're moving into the recovery of bodies stage, and now they're finding so many. Uh, So this is a very difficult thing. Let me just mention a Southern Baptist website called sendrelief.org. Sendrelief is the disaster relief arm of the Southern Baptist Convention in both North American disasters and disasters that happen around the world, such as in Turkey. And so if you want to go to sendrelief.org, Sendrelief tells us that there are several ways that we can be praying for the people of Turkey. We need to pray for the millions of people who have been displaced from their homes and who are sleeping in the streets throughout Turkey and Syria. Not thousands, not hundreds of thousands, but millions. We need to pray for them who have no place to go. And this is winter, and so the weather is severe. The major airports, there's three major airports there, they have been affected by the earthquake and terribly damaged, which has limited uh, the amount of disaster relief that can arrive. Syria was already undergoing civil war, so they were already experiencing shortages of water and food and electricity and heat. And so now that situation is even more serious. In Turkey, we need to pray for the local churches and believers who are there and are on the ground, uh, that they would be the hands and feet 
of Jesus. There was one church, a Christian church in Turkey, that had their building destroyed. We need to remember them in prayer. There are ways that you and I can put feet to our prayers. As I mentioned, Send Relief is the disaster relief arm of the Southern Baptist Convention. If you will go to sendrelief.org, you can give an offering if you so choose. One of the good things about being Southern Baptist is that we have our cooperative program, and so your local church already is supporting uh, Send Relief, and so in some ways we're already helping them, but there's so much more that they need and so much more that we can do. And so let's pray the way that uh, Send Relief is encouraging us to do so, and let's give generously to a people One of the things to think about as we talk about northern Syria and uh, southern Turkey, we're talking about a region that we can read about in the book of Acts, especially in Paul's first missionary journey. And again, you can uh, read about this region in the book of Revelation. It talks about the seven churches of Asia Minor. Those are the places that we are talking about. And so let us pray for those dear people who are suffering the loss of loved ones, of their homes, and of their livelihood. Let's pray that the church would truly be an effective help to them and uh, show Christ to them. And also, let me encourage you to, as James said, not just say, be warm and filled, but also to be proactive in the ways that we can help them, and we can help them through organizations such as sinrelief.org. What is mom guilt? As a dad, I don't know what mom guilt means, but I think I have a sense of having seen it and observed it among other moms, uh, not least my own wife. So what is this mom guilt? Why does it matter? Here to talk about this and her mini book on this, the title of the mini book is Mom Guilt, Escaping Its Stronghold, is author Lauren Whitman. Megan Dickerson is going to join me uh, on this podcast today. She works with us here for the Center for Faith and Culture, also a mom of four. And so, Megan, you're going to ask a lot better questions than I am here. But Megan, tell us first, who is Lauren Whitman? Lauren Whitman is a counselor and faculty member at the Christian Counseling and Education Foundation. You might know it as CCEF. She's an author of the devotional book, A Painful Past, Healing and Moving Forward, as well as A Biblical Counseling Process. This year, she published the mini book, Mom Guilt, Escaping Its Stronghold, and a children's book, Henry's Big Mistake, that teaches kids how to respond to guilty feelings with confession and repentance. Lauren, her husband, and their two children make their home in the Philadelphia area. Exciting. Lauren, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's nice to meet you guys. So to jump right in, uh, just tell us, what is mom guilt and how is it different from what we might call true guilt or biblical guilt? How do we think about this? As I have sought to conceptualize mom guilt, I do distinguish it from true biblical guilt. So true guilt comes when we have sinned and a guilty feeling can prompt us to do what is necessary to do after we have sinned, which is confess and repent uh, to the Lord and to those we have harmed. In contrast, mom guilt is false guilt. It may feel similar to true guilt in that it feels like I did something wrong, but when we look at what we've done that prompts mom guilt, then it's usually clear that what we have done, they're not moral offenses. 
So I'll give an example. So maybe a mom comes and joins her child's class party and she brings store-bought cookies. Um, but as she's there at the party, she's noticing that lots of other moms baked homemade cookies. So as she's noticing this difference, she may be inclined to feel guilty and struggle with thoughts that are unhelpful. Something like, Ugh, of course, I'm the only mom who shows up with store-bought cookies or I should have planned my day better so I could have baked. That's just an everyday example, but that's something to know about mom guilt. And that is that it kind of creeps into these moments and can lead to negative self-reflections or feelings of failure, feelings of not measuring up. And so let's use this example and assess. Is it true guilt? In other words, is bringing store-bought cookies a moral issue? Has she failed morally? Has she sinned by bringing store-bought cookies? And when you put it that way, then it's pretty clear that no, this mom has not sinned. And in fact, maybe if we knew more details, we'd be pretty impressed with her. Maybe she's had a really busy day. Maybe the grocery store is not close to her house and she made a sacrifice in her schedule to get to the store. And so if we knew all the details, we could actually appreciate that she was able to contribute anything to the party. And so another thing to know about mom guilt is that it sees really well these perceived failures. So in this example, the perceived failure is store-bought cookies or somehow not good enough um, as compared to what she sees other moms brought. And that mom guilt also struggles to see what's good and praiseworthy about her contribution, which is perhaps she went out of her way to contribute something. So I'm curious, Lauren, how do you understand what's promoting this? Is this something new? Has this been around forever? And we're just, we're just kind of getting on the radar. And what is it that seems to kind of proliferate or promote uh, this kind of mom guilt? I talk in the mini book, I identify um, like a few roots of mom guilt. Um, and so I, you know, couldn't be exhaustive in a mini book, but um, I try to I identify some common roots that lead to the experience of mom guilt. Um, so for example, our self-imposed standards so that as moms, we kind of come to this image of who I want to be, what my ideal is as a mom. And then we hold ourselves to the standard. And as we hold ourselves to the standard, and then we end up not being able to meet this standard. Um, and so then we feel like a failure. But really, in reality, it's the self-generated standard. Um, another another root um, could be standards that our culture imposes upon us, right? And so I talk about like this kind of cultural phenomena known as supermom. You know, so supermom is all up to date on the latest research. She, as the name suggests, you know, she's she's like Superman. She can she can do it all. Um, she has it all together. Um, and this is just a really unhelpful picture of what a mom is or what a mom can do. And again, it, it has this standard that's really just unattainable. So those are just two examples of things that can prompt the mm. experience of mom guilt. And there there are many others. Man, I know that I can relate to that experience through you know, 12 years of motherhood, I can think of so many times when my perceived standard, I haven't been able to meet it. And so I felt guilty and I appreciate that you're saying that this is not a standard that's, that's biblical, that we're not talking about what the Bible has actually said that motherhood should look like. One of the things that you say in your book is that moms can't be everything for their kids. That super mom that you're talking about, mm -hmm. that just isn't realistic. And that instead we should seek help from the church, that there are other people that can excel in different ways that we can't. But what does that look like to ask for help from the church? Yeah, so I think it can look many ways and I'll, I'll get to an example, but I'll begin my answer by saying that seeking 
help from the church has to start with a church culture that's understanding and that's compassionate towards one another in ways that mm -hmm. each of us may struggle um, and a culture that creates a context where people are confident that it's more than okay to struggle and to share when they're struggling. So that's kind of an initial meta comment about church culture. So I'll go more specific to moms and that is within our friendships and our friend groups at church, I hope for just this baseline recognition that mothering is going to be messy. It's going to be challenging. We should expect this because we're mothering in this world that's not our home. We're fighting against our sinfulness as people who are not yet fully redeemed. We have children who also have their own sin struggles and weaknesses, and that's the case for all of us. And I hope for relationships within the church where we can just be honest about that, where we can share struggles of what we're facing with our kids or areas where we've just reached the end of our own knowledge or sense of what to do um, about something we're facing. And we're willing to admit that and seek help and resources and other perspectives from our sisters in Christ. So first we have to be not afraid to share. And so that becomes a question for each of us to ask ourselves, am I someone that a struggling mom would know that it's okay to talk about her struggles? So let it start with you, your attitude towards struggles, your attitude towards strugglers. And then if you're a mom who gets to the point where you're dealing with something and you do need help and you have that kind of trusted community, where you can ask freely and seek help freely, then I would say, just go for it. Like, be curious. You're a learner as a mom. All parents are learners. So ask questions, get new ideas, especially when you're facing a new parenting issue or your child struggling with a new issue. So the vision here is a freedom to disclose hardships to each other because we are trustworthy people to hear such disclosures and to be willing to offer any help we can to give to a mom. So. Say a mom has a child who starts wetting the bed. This can be the kind of disclosure that we might hesitate to disclose because maybe we're struggling with feeling ashamed or feeling like, is this my fault? Like that my child has developed this problem. So the shame might tempt us to keep it to ourselves. But what I'd love to see is a mom bringing this to a trusted mom, another mom and letting her know what's going on, seeing if she has ideas, seeing if she's faced this letting her know that even you feel ashamed about this, asking her to pray for your child, asking her to pray for you because you are struggling with feelings of shame and failure. So each of us just giving others the experience of you're not alone in this and whatever this is, being the kind of person who listens, who understands, sympathizes, seeks to help by offering any insights you have, by offering your prayers. Lauren, I can I can only imagine that a, a book like this comes not only out of deep interest, but also probably some experience. So I'm just curious, can you tell us, just, just open the door a little bit into your own life of why did you write this book? Why did you get interested and how does it relate to, to your own experience of mom guilt? So I became interested in this topic from a few vantage points. First, as a struggler, as a friend and then as a counselor. So as a struggler, I can say that I've really wrestled with this experience of mom guilt. And when I first started my work on this topic, I was coming from a place of being pretty stuck. Um, I was feeling bad a lot about my mothering and I wasn't ex exactly sure why or what to do about it. So in that sense, I'm so thankful for the opportunity I had to develop this content because it was a chance for me to slow down and think deeply about the experience and how to fight it. Mm -hmm. Then I also became interested as a friend, hearing from other moms in my life that what I was experiencing wasn't unique to me, that lots of other moms struggle too. 
And then again, again, hearing that struggle in my counseling conversations that I was having with moms. So yeah, those conversations with others combined with my own experience kind of culminated into an urgency um, to address this topic. Let me ask real quick, just as a follow-up on that. So with, with mom guilt, do you sense that mom guilt is more about moms worrying or feeling anxious and, and guilty about not having time to do everything? Or is it more about they just don't feel like they present well in everything that they do? It's like whatever they do just feels like I feel like I failed at that. I didn't do it well enough. Or is it more about I just don't have time to do all the things or maybe maybe both? Yeah, I would say it's it, it could be both. Right. And so time is a limitation on all of us. So certainly moms feel that like I just there's, there's just not enough time to like do all I would hope to do or would like to do for my kids. And that can make us feel guilty. And so it could also be the second, and that that kind of goes back to um, what I was saying earlier about standards, right? Like, um, and so one of the things I, I want moms to kind of assess is whose standards am I living by? Am I mm-hmm. living by the self-imposed standard? Am I living by my culture's standard or my husband's standard or my church's standard? Um, and then from there, um, as Megan was was alluding to, just really trying to understand, okay, well, what's God's standard? Because I'm accountable yeah. to him, I'm responsible yeah. to him. And so how how does his word guide me to um, understand what it is I'm truly called to as a mom? That's so helpful for me to think through. And I really appreciate your your thoughts here. What do you think success looks like in this area? What does it look like to wrestle well with the idea of mom guilt? Yeah, that's a great question. The first thing that comes to mind is knowing God's heart towards moms in this struggle. You are successful if as you struggle, you remember that God is so tender towards you, that your God sees your sacrifices as a mother, that your God is delighted by your faithfulness as a mother. And so what we're aiming for in this struggle is that you would be increasingly finding a sense of peace and rest that he sees you more accurately than you see yourself. And that also he sees how hard these feelings are and trusting that he has compassion for your suffering. As an extension of the reality that God sees you, success would also be believing that he helps you in this experience. You are not on your own to fight this, but that his word and the presence of the spirit is with you and equips you to fight against painful mom guilt thoughts and feelings. And so in the book, I sought to lay out a few steps to take when you're struggling that acts on this belief that God helps. So the first thing to do when you're struggling is simply remember who you are. You are God's child, and in a moment of hardship, you have someone to go to, so run to him for help. Mm. And together with the Spirit's help, you're going to discern what is at the root of this occasion of mom guilt. And again, as I mentioned, I, I list several of those common roots in mom guilt. And so in this step, you're discerning what roots tripping me up this time. And once you have a better understanding of that, then you can respond in faith. You will orient yourself to certain truths of God's word that will speak to that particular lie or distortion of the truth that has um, tripped you up in this instance. Lauren, I want to ask you, so most of our audience, it's pastors, thoughtful lay people, moms and dads. Um, but I want to make it really personal if I can. So uh, I, I pastor a small church there. We have two two ladies right now who are expecting children, and one of them is expecting their first. And this this girl is a, a sweet girl. Her, and her husband are really good friends, but she's also very, very young herself. Um, so it's it's a little bit like a child having a child in many ways. And I feel like she already she has yet. I think I think she's due in February. Uh, she's she's yet to have a child. And I feel like she's already kind of in that place where mom guilt is creeping in. 
and she's not actually taking care of uh, of the day-to-day needs of the baby yet. Um, what would you say to her if, if she were here or if you were just advising her on how to how to set herself up for uh, success, kind of like you were just saying to Megan, um, what kind of things would you advise her to do and not to do uh, as she as she looks looks towards the next year, but really the next several years? Well, I would want to sit down with her first and, yeah, just try to understand more of what her experience is right now, um, you know, get an understanding of of the kinds of, of thoughts and feelings that she's wrestling with, because then I'll be able to be more helpful f- to her if I know the particulars. But in general, I would seek to normalize that lots of moms struggle with this and you're not alone and you know, being willing to give her examples of this is how I have struggled so that she knows that she's not alone or she's not crazy. Um, And then just giving her hope that kind of what I was speaking to a minute ago of like, we have a God who is with us, who doesn't let us go. And so this is going to be a place where you're going to learn to to depend on him more, a place where you get to understand his mercies more clearly, more pointedly that they are for you. So yeah, just giving her hope um, and and giving her that sense um, that she's not alone because I faced it and she's not alone because God is with her. And then let's pray together. Let's pray about this um, and taking an opportunity to bring these concerns um, to the Lord together. Lauren, thank you so much for that. That speaks to my heart, even in this season of um, not as a new mom, but but how how great it is to remember that I'm not alone. Other moms are feeling the same way in different areas and that God is with me. What comfort. But this season, we're focusing on spiritual formation. So what does this conversation about mom guilt have to do with spiritual formation? One thing that I know, and I kind of was um, alluding to it a moment ago, was that is that God can and He does use any struggle or hardship that we have to form us into the people that He is fashioning us to be. So this conversation about mom guilt, it's just an example of one struggle that a certain population faces, but no matter what your struggle is, the promise remains. And that is that we have a God who says that He will be with us. We have a God who says, you are the clay and I am the potter. And if something's going on in my life, then he is going to use it to shape us. So how can mom guilt shape us? As I said earlier, I hope it shapes us into women who have a growing confidence that God is compassionate towards them. I hope it shapes us into women who have a growing confidence um, that they are valued, that they are seen by their God who loves them. I hope it shapes us into women who in knowing our limitations that we learn to increase our dependence on on God um, because he himself is without limitations and he tells us that we can rely upon him for help and for strength and for what we need to mother well and to mother wisely. Lauren, this is super helpful. I think this is probably just the beginning of a much longer conversation that we will need to follow up on soon. I want to hear more and I know our listeners will want to hear more. Uh, Until then, how can people follow your work? So as Megan mentioned in the introduction, I work for an organization called the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation, and you can go to our website at ccef.org. Just searching there, you can find links to my Journal of Biblical Counseling articles, blog articles, which are free, links to the books that I have published, and in general, just to let you all know there's there's lots of free resources by many authors and many speakers other than myself. So just in general, I want you guys to check that out because um, I think it can be a blessing to you or to your ministry. Great. Lauren, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. 
And now it's time for On My Bookshelf, the part of the show where professors at Southeastern share what they're reading right now. Today, we're delighted to have with us Dr. Dan Heimbach, Senior Research Professor of Christian Ethics. Dr. Heimbach, what's on your bookshelf? Well, the book on my bookshelf uh, is Resurrection and Moral Order, an Outline for Evangelical Ethics by Oliver O'Donovan. Well, this, uh, this book is not a book I'm reading right now. It's been out <clears throat> for about 35 years, but uh, I decided to bring it in and tell you about it because it has been, been a great influence on me. It really opened my eyes uh, to think about what the uh, structure of God's moral order is. The Bible is not written systematically. It is uh, inerrant and it is coherent and completely consistent, but it is written in different uh, styles and in different ways and organized different ways. And so when it comes to thinking about uh, ethics, right and wrong, we have to look for how that is uh, framed. And it's typical to go, very typical uh, for uh, Christians to actually go to philosophy to look for different ways to organize ethical thought and then uh, try to fit biblical revelation into that. And what O'Donovan does in this book and what he really, the big influence on me, is that he thinks that that is completely reverse of what should be. That is, God is already ordered, he is already coherent, and he has revealed an already consistent, well-ordered moral reality in what he has given us in the Bible. And we should look for what frames that? What is it that the Bible itself indicate is framing the ordering of God's moral reality? And, uh, and so that's what, this, that's what this book does. It's a very high-level academic book, but it's very well expressed and very deeply thought through and very biblical. The title of it, you know, Resurrection and Moral Order, so it has something to do with resurrection, something to do with moral order. So he's talking about how is God's reality ordered in a coherent, consistent way? And the subtitle, An Outline for Evangelical Ethics, you know, he is indicating that uh, what this book is about is he's looking for how it's an outline, not everything, but just what is outlining, what is creating the structure and framing of God's uh, ethical reality that is uh, behind, is assumed, and being revealed in the Bible. And he uses the word evangelical in a way, he's not using it sociologically to describe. This is what people who call themselves evangelicals think. Rather, he's using it in the theological sense of uh, something having to do with the gospel. Evangelical means something that is something is gospel-centered, and so he's he's saying that the God's moral reality is centered on the gospel. That is, uh, you know what. There's a problem to solve, there's a solution to it, and there's a goal to achieve. And the gospel is framing all that, especially, though, you know, okay, going that far, great. Uh, you know, it has to do with the Bible, it has to do with theology. But why not uh, start with creation? Why not start with the Ten Commandments and say, okay, you know, there's categories of moral obligation, and people have done that. But what he is pointing out here, actually, is that the, uh, the resurrection, the doctrine of the resurrection, it isn't just simply Bible-centered. It isn't just simply Christ-centered. It isn't just simply gospel-centered. But the thing in the gospel that 
sets the structure before and after and everything is the erection of Jesus Christ. If it was just the atonement, we would be forgiven sinners, but not changed. And it's the resurrection that we are transformed into a new relationship with God and a new creature uh, and a new creation. But it is something that connects the past with the present. You know, all moral truth in the Bible is centered on God, but God never changes. So God's structuring of ethical reality has not changed. It is ordered by who God is and by God's character. Therefore, it is something, the ordering, what orders God's reality is something that has to bring the past together. With God just doesn't do it one way and then change and do it another way later. Rather, there is an ordering of moral reality that is affirmed in the resurrection, that is, it's worth saving, and transformed, that is, it's a new creation. So it's the same moral order that is then uh, saved and transformed into the new, and the key that keeps it all together is uh, the resurrection. The resurrection is what transforms us. And that theological concept he shows actually is biblical. And he cites references in the Bible that show that it's, it's the resurrection that transforms everything. The book's title is Resurrection and Moral Order, an Outline for Evangelical Ethics. The author is Oliver O'Donovan, and it's published by Erdman's. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Would you like to help us get the word out about the Christ and Culture podcast to where more people hear about it and listen to it? Well, here's how you can help. Give us a five-star rating. This affects the algorithm used by Apple and Spotify or whatever platform you're using, and it brings it to the top of the list when people are searching for a podcast to listen to. And so it will really help us if you'll give us a rating, write a review, and then share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.